Good evening. So I welcome everybody today to uh, the webinar on Discover Design by JS Institute of Design. Today, we have some really interesting topic on ethics, professional ethics. Uh, and we are going to be talking to Siddharth Talwar, uh, who has a lot of things to talk about uh, managing ethical dilemmas in design. Of course, design is a profession which has a lot of queries to be answered. And that's the reason we have floated the Discover Design web series of webinar. And throughout the year, we have talked a lot on the what of design and the hows of design and the whys of design. But one of the topics that we really thought it is high time that we touched upon was, uh, we all have queries about and a lot of um, you know, under, uh, misunderstanding about ethics, especially professional ethics, the way we practice and apply ethics in our work. So I've invited Siddharth to talk to us about that. Uh, and so today's going to be very interesting. So let's look at, uh, I'm, I have to, I just need to tell you a lot about Siddharth because it's really interesting, his journey in the field of design. But before that, let me uh, invite you guys to uh, put in any questions that you have while you're listening to us in the Q&A function, and we will take it up uh, post our conversation. But in the meantime, some of your questions may of course be addressed while we are discussing. Now, Siddharth is the principal designer and uh, co-founder of Studio Lotus. It's a, newly, it's a New Delhi-based multidisciplinary design practice that he co-founded in 2002 with Amrish Arora and Angur Choksi. So welcome, Siddharth. I just want to say a few more words before I hand over the platform to you, um, where I'd love to hear a little bit more about what your company has done. So it seems your work spans the domains of master planning, architecture, and interior design the practice of which is grounded on the principles of conscious design. I found this really interesting because when you make a statement about conscious design, I immediately think of your organization as, some, as, as, a, as a company based on certain beliefs and principles, uh, and ethics could really be one of them. And that's one of the reasons why we approached you for this particular webinar. Uh, it seems it's an inclusive approach that focuses on rigorous process as much, as much as the end result. I would really be keen to hear a little more about that. And I'm sure it'll come out of all the questions or the, or the conversation that we have uh, between us. Uh, just want to say a few words about the kind of projects you've done. And please feel free to add on to it in our conversation as well. So one of your most significant projects is Krishi Bhavan at Bhubaneswar, which integrated governmental functions with direct community engagement and education. So here again, I find projects that you've worked on seem to really be uh, socially be sensitive, sensitive to people who are you going to use that space or uh, the functions are always related to being concerned about the, the space around inside as well as the environment around you and and i do think that we will address a little bit of that in our conversation later on 
so the project this project has won international acclaim uh, receiving high commendation in the office buildings category at the world architecture festival in 2019 so congratulations that's great you also your organization also has has been supreme winner at surface design awards london 2020 future arc design leadership award 2020 in the institutional category and the achievement award at the citc vishwakarma awards 2018 uh, and that's really a long list so many congratulations but more than that i would really uh, be happy to hear from you so that you can share your experiences in the way you have operated through your uh, work platform or you know the design platform to apply the the ethics that we talk about what does it mean and and what were the kind of dilemmas that you faced so today our key, key takeaways would be uh, why is ethics needed in service industry i mean design is a service industry uh, uh, spanning across many streams uh, right from space design buildings to clothing to products uh, communication we we are all in the business of service industry um and we come across such kind of dilemmas through the way we deal with our clients through the way we communicate to public and what impact it has later on we all need to be questioning this while we are working on the design solution so what are the aims objectives and principles of professional ethics of course it's not going to be a theoretical conversation today uh, we want to talk about the real life issues and dilemmas faced by uh, designers and and situations so the influence of professional ethics in developing work culture very important because this is what uh, we i had uh, i heard uh, sudha talking about his company and i felt that's the way he has thought of he and his colleagues have thought of and i would be looking at uh, inviting him to talk a little bit about that just let me finish with the last key uh, takeaway is the relevance and challenges of professional ethics in design well most of it is related to design whatever we talk about today but before uh, a lot of it may be just applied to everyday life and to general society and social uh, happenings around us so i'm going to invite siddharth to please introduce your company yourself and what your beliefs and vision has been and how have you in, in, in integrated ethics in the way you work yeah siddharth thank you uh, thank you ma'am and thank you uh, js institute for inviting me uh, for and when you and thank you for this very elaborate introduction uh, i when you you know when you spoke to me about the the uh, topic it, it kind of close to me so hence i i kind of uh, got excited and i i said i should i would like to speak on it because it's 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 very you know some of the topics which we are going to discuss today and some of the conversations is the way we have built our organization and and i see and i'm trying to build future leaders whether through our organization and the people we meet uh, hence i felt i could add uh, you know on this uh, subject uh, 
So Studio Lotus was founded by us uh, in, in about 2002, uh, as you mentioned, uh, my two partners, Amrish and Ankur. And since then, and of, of course, when we founded it, we practically had no work. We, I think, were just thriving on a couple of very two small projects. We had a Patiala Crafts Mela with us, uh, which we had to do it in a month's time. Uh, so practically nothing. Uh, no, uh, but we had a belief in ourselves and how we're going to take it up further. So over the last almost close to 20 years now, next year we'll be completing 20 years. And if I reflect upon, we have started with very small projects to now we are doing some very large projects. So initially we were doing interiors. Uh, we got into some amount of uh, houses. Then slowly we got into architecture. So, so we are now at present doing large format architectural projects with government, with developers such as Godrej, Max Group, DLF. We are doing, uh, we're doing uh, cultural spaces, we're doing public areas. So we do master plans, you know, we're doing projects which is, let's say we are doing projects from maybe a thousand square feet area to probably even 500 acres. That's the expanse of projects we have. What is common in all these projects is that, yes, they are design-led. Uh, uh, we need to create a meaning in every project, what value addition we can bring. And we would like to celebrate the context, the context being India, its culture, its, its cultural diversity, its, its uh, climatic geographical diversity. So, so that's pretty much the common theme. But uh, and you have this page open in front of you, which kind of talks about what I'm saying. But the baseline would still will be that whatever we do, whatever we are trying to create, the, our way, our process has been very inclusive. We are very participatory the way we have gone about it. So it's a very collaborative, transparent process, which we work externally with the outer world, with our clients and with our stakeholders. And the same goes with the inner world, which is our teams and the people who we work with. I think one baseline to this topic today about the profession of ethics, you know, till the time we work in participation, that's the key word to ethics. Like that's how we have grown. I think it's a word of mouth. We have done one project, we got the next project and hence we grew. So till the time our client relationship is supreme, we are being, uh, there is integrity, there is trust, we have built upon that and that's how our organization has grown. We started with probably seven, eight members and we are close to 100 now. And, and that is what has empowered uh, uh, us. So when I say stakeholders, we don't like to sit across the table. We want to sit on one side of the table trying to resolve the issues. And stakeholders is right from the client to their people, to us as architects and even be it a carpenter, be it a craftsman, be it a contractor. We don't see at those levels. We see it as a team and that's how we become an integrator of sorts to really build upon the vision which we have created uh, for the client. I would like to quickly take upon certain values which we believe in, which again, I think will reflect upon the questions and uh, answers we'll have later, uh, which is very relevant in, in, for today's uh, subject. Uh, these are some of our mission statements. Uh, we can get into the values, which are the next one. 
So in our values, I would quickly go through and it's an attitude of gratitude. We are privileged to what we are paid to do and what we are passionate about. So as I mentioned earlier, it's not really about the scale of the project. It would be small and brick, but we want to be true to ourselves and true to the process and true to everyone, which is again, transparency and trust. Yes, we innovation is a way of life for us, creating meaning, creating new or better solutions, whatever we can make better for the society and for ourselves. We want to be in that state of perfection. So for us, design-led thinking, thought leadership is very critical, which is again one of the baseline values for us. Next one, please. And we believe it in, in collective work. Genius is an act of collective. I think best results are formed when you have the best teams. Best teams are created when you have good code of ethics, where again, you have cohesiveness, you have collaboration. So I think we are deeply committed to the development of the people who we work with, and especially our team. And I think that's what makes the project and everything, the whole process uh, successful. Context is decisive, as I mentioned. We want, we enjoy the India abundance of craft and materials and the richness in its history. We want to really celebrate it and bring it uh, to the top of the table and we want to work with the Indian craftsmen as soon as possible. A lot of work, whether it's interior architecture, reflect that. That's an underlying commitment which we have made to ourselves in whichever project and capacity we want to break it on board. Next one, please. And of course, while we do any project, we learn. So I think we still at a stage where we still feel we have to learn. It's a lot of learning and learning process. I don't think we've ever said that we have arrived, we have, you know, we have made it. Every project, every instance, any site visit, we want to learn. We want to do a lot of prototyping. We want to explore a lot of materials. Yes, we do make mistakes. And we tell the client that, okay, hey, we tried something, but it's not working. So again, the process is very open. It's not just one way. So, so for us to learn uh, as a society, as an individual is critical. And we lay a lot of strength to our teams. We really want to create empowered people, which we feel is the baseline and the core of are functioning. We want to really create healthy and wealthy human beings and the people whom we work with. And that's and that's empowerment for them both professionally and personally. And that's what pushes them. If, if I want an out-of-the-box thinking, then I want to conduct my process and my uh, management in such a way that they should get empowered to make it happen. Next one, please. I think the last one. And yes, uh, honoring our relationship and our word, as I mentioned, trust, integrity is supreme. If I have given a commitment, then we will make it happen, be it our vendors or our contractors and our, and our client. And we are accountable for everything. We don't want to take shortcuts. We don't want to run away from what we propose. We are standing there for what we took upon. And I guess, I think that's about it. Right. Okay. So, thank you for that introduction. I thank think you. Uh, I keep on, uh, when I when I am reading what is up there on the screen along with uh, trying to listen to what you're saying, you know, there are a lot of in-between things that I think is going to make your belief a lot more clearer to all of us. And the reason why I have uh, brought you onto uh, the webinar today is because uh, we I do think it doesn't mean that there are there aren't others also who practice the same way. I am sure we all do, there are many studios. Uh, larger, even smaller ones, they probably also have similar uh, ethical standards and practice it in such a way. But I just wanted your point of view on such a thing. And let's talk about what happens in professional ethics. Now, in, in a profession which is, uh, I guess professional ethics is about 
uh, encompassing personal and corporate standards. So when we say corporate environment, personal, individual ways of behaving and ways of thinking about concerns for others, concerns for people, society, environment, and ultimately the outcome. And that is all encompassed within professional ethics. So in case like design, such as design, a designer is normally associated with not just the service portion, but also in the service, uh, they would probably have to deal with clients. They would have to deal with vendors who are, uh, who are working along with them. Also with various kinds of um, the colleagues, their own colleagues uh, in different hierarchies. While this is a common way of working, a lot of small matters come up and which I think really, I don't know whether we talk about it much, but I do know I belong to the education part of it. And I keep on hearing this from the youngsters who really have this question. So I'm going to put it to you and perhaps you can clarify some of these things for us. So for example, if uh, when the designer is being, um, is being interviewed by you, uh, for a placement at your company and you find a lot of the work being finished beautifully in the portfolio and somehow a lot of people, most of the people who are applying to you probably have very similar kinds of portfolio, right? Uh, well finished because they all use softwares and also very similar kind of work. Now, I also know that uh, there are many who probably do not match up to the standards of work that is displayed in the portfolio. Do you think you as a company are able to figure out who actually has done the work, uh, original work? Are they able to do it because of only support of certain technology that they have? Or is it that there is a tendency in a field like ours to also get support from outside for their portfolio to at least project a good portfolio. Do you think that happens with you? And are you able to figure out as a company when you interview people? Yeah, you know, it's not a burning concern, I would say, when it comes to us. It could have happened years back when we, there could have been cases, but it's never been a, like a burning issue for us. So, uh, a couple of points here, definitely when the portfolios come to us and if, and after actually going through portfolios, you know, there would be at least 50 portfolios coming every day. Now, over a period of time, we have built upon the fact that the portfolio is coming from which institute, for example, and just the, just the institute also makes, it becomes critical just because I know that certain institutes, the quality of people, you know, coming in, the quality of students coming in and the quality of portfolios. So, so that is one level now. And of course, there are some very beautiful portfolios and there are some very badly structured portfolios. Of course, portfolio creation is a, is a big art in itself. Now, when I go through the portfolio and go through the skill set, what we have done is, of course, we invite them for an interview, what we have created is a skip level interview. So, so if I'm looking at a position of an intern, which is probably not an important position, 
as of now, just for a duration of maybe six months, 12 months, we, yes, we only look at a skill set. And in order to test that skill set, we give them a kind of a demo test. So in order to check that capability, whether it's the software and the technical advancement we made, we would do a random check, uh, you know, like a random test, you can call it an half an hour test. We would ask them to make something or do something and immediately we know that what they have really shown and versus what they have actually done. Is it at par? So, so we do that. And then of course, if it comes to more senior positions, we have, uh, you know, multiple interviews. So whether it's the team lead first doing an interview and then that person finding, uh, you know, that uh, the, the interview relevant for the uh, next level, then, then a senior position will be brought on board and hence we are able to manage that position. So, so through these kind of couple of procedures, Mm -hmm. do that. Baseline is that selection of any person is, is still a very gut-based feeling, I would say. It's, it's very instinctive for me at least. I would really upon, uh, really rely upon the attitude of that person. So, for example, if somebody is not really at par for the, you know, at the skill set level, for example, it doesn't really, till the time he or she has the right attitude, has the right attitude to really progress, to really learn, I would really end up the day go with the you know the personality and the attitude of the person and probably take that risk and a plunge and that's how we bring somebody on the board. Right. So um, so when you take in a, a recruit new recruitee, would you would you really test them on certain ethical questions through whatever questioning you may have, or would you sort of expose them to certain situations where you can figure out. Uh, what is, how does this person react to such uh, ethical dilemma? And would you then, because the same person is going to go ahead perhaps and handle maybe clients uh, or small batches or even work with vendors, uh, be on the site managing quite a few things, uh, maintain relations as well as communicate, uh, you know, com communicate orally, verbally, uh, in writing, so do you think it's important to train your guys, especially new recruits, since they need to you need to inculcate them into the philosophy of your company? And is that important for you? Uh, is it becoming more important otherwise also? It is, it is important. It is, it is, I think at this point of time, inducting a, 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 a relevant person, a good person who can be on board for us for many more years, it is like induction is very critical. It is a sensitive subject, but we try to do it in the best possible capacity. So probably at a senior position, we'll do a reference check. We like to take feedback to really understand the, the quality of that person and, and how he or she goes about managing the work. So it's not really, so of course, one is the done part, whether it's the skill set or the project's completed, but as you are asking, I think the more important question is, you know, how, as a human being, how is that person? How could how would that person react in different uh, situations? So we, yes, we have certain questions to really talk about it. We first take them through our values and and get a buy-in that is he really connected to those values. Uh, we. Uh, we like say for example we would i would ask them a question about you know how would they really react in a critical situation where the maybe probably the meeting uh, is quickly set up and you know something has to be produced in quick time frame what would their reaction be and i could get a sense of 
you know that person you know how he or she will adapt itself in a difficult situation whether it is really talking about you know taking the team along or is it really doing it on its own and we would get cues that that okay this person is a team person it's really like focusing on uh, you know whether maybe the answer is that maybe i will call up the client and say okay i am not ready and i need some more time so th- that's ethical you know rather than probably cancelling last minute uh, a meeting is we would like to say that it's better to call up the client and say that we need some more time we are trying to do it better so these are the conversations we 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 pose some questions and these are the kind of conversations we have and when even they come on board like really uh, talking about how client management needs to be done and how they can be as transparent as possible probably accept things have gone wrong and you need a day or two and and rather be you know rather be open rather than trying to come up with a shoddy presentation and half complete work so we try to have these communications and conversations going uh, right uh, i don't know would you like me to elaborate further or i think no uh, because i do have some more questions and while they may sort of uh, i think clarify further so this is something which is a little bit of a uh, this question is sort of not discussed very much but i do know a lot of young designers when they join any studio they of course join at the junior level and probably don't expect to be handling large portions of work but at some stage when they do start contributing to any project meaningfully or in terms of value i do think uh, a lot of designers uh, like to also get some credit and i i think that's that's generally the makeup of any creative person you know having some value or be, or feeling valued because they have been credited with certain uh, contribution so in a large in a studio setup where uh projects of course are headed by principal designers or senior designers who have a large group working with them and many times it, it is the studio and the principal designers who get accredited now in case when designers have worked for a long time with you guys not with you i mean on any in any studios how do you manage to give them the credit or do you because i hear a lot about uh, designers not feeling satisfied with the 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 value that is given to them by places where they are employed and this is what so how do you manage in your organization so i i am i'm just bringing this in because there's always the is it ethical uh, for the studio to accredit them and not or at what point should they accredit them give them credit um yeah uh, so should we explain in terms of just the process because that itself is very important yeah so interesting question i have they i would like to answer it in two parts the immediate uh, part would be what exactly do we do and then i'll get into the process and how we really build up the whole thing but but and we i agree that that so uh, giving credit is very important so what we do is that we again build a culture of appreciation so so while uh, we are at it we for example small thing we have a board where you know people can go and appreciate so whether it's a team they want to appreciate uh, their team for a good job done for a good presentation or whether it's a mail it's a small write out it's anything so we really 
appreciation is a big gap which is which is you know like you have to be honest and transparent and admit to it and then i think all the juniors and people who really slog themselves like to get appreciated so we keep on instilling this belief in everyone whether it's the junior needs to appreciate the senior and especially the seniors you know we 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 uh, uh, ask them to take their team outs uh, you know for maybe once in a month to for a coffee or or have a chat with their juniors for a small break or in the evening so that's like really creating that uh, that that energy between the two it's not really about you know coming and doing at on the table of course they will do the whole you know the whole day will be spent working but offline what else can uh, happen i guess we are very serious about the fact that if any project is being documented and it's being presented or it is in the media or 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 it is in uh, the uh, articles the whole team gets uh, uh, acknowledged uh, you know right from even the vendors and the contractors involved it's just not us as the seniors so so these are some of the things which we keep in mind to really build and and keep in mind that even a junior needs to be given due uh, credit while while i would say the other tangent to your question about how they feel and after having worked and how do they see themselves getting credit or getting uh, empowered by what they have done i think it's really how we structure our process and how we have structured our uh, organization it it really depends uh, on the way we run the the business you know so 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 why we are trying to still create a studio like practice but eventually i would say we are in the business of design so ultimately we have taken up on a job from a client and we need to deliver it to the client so it is as straight forward and ethical to ensure that the client satisfaction is 100% of course there are no shortcuts in that uh, but we need to build that upon so while building that upon what we have really understood is that while the growth of the person is is yes it is attributed financially but after a point it it is not really about their salary and their packages and all it is really about the the value as a person they bring uh, on on board and for that to happen we have to really work with the junior level especially with the senior level uh, really try to give them all clarity of the business so so the way we run our practices that that we're running it like a mini studio which is again very transparent and then to me like we are transparent about the fees and the revenues we are giving them a platform where we can bring them the right quality of work can we call them the l2s uh, and they are the team leads and every team lead is handling about a team of 7 to 8 people and of course they can make it larger and we have about 7 8 teams like this our whole focus is into mentoring them and they are almost running play mini studios as if they were to operate in a real time world how would they relate to the client how would they relate to the external customers how can they build trust how can they honor their word so it's a very real time exercise which is happening they need to ask for money they create a schedule they create everything to so that also sorts out the dilemmas between the ethical dilemmas let's say between us and the clients to a large level so and while they do it and they have understood the notion of really running their own practice profitably they are exposed to the uh, to the figures to the facts so they really know that how much are they spending and how much are they bringing about so that's how we have run our practice and created like the biggest thing is as again certain 
design firms or architectural firms which are really working by their name. I think we could have named ourselves in our, you know, we could have said as a company in our name, but we were really clear in the beginning, it will be not run in somebody's name. We called it student lotus. The idea is to create much more principals like us, much more uh, associates like us to make a much larger. That's how we've grown from five to 10 to create that, uh, to take that organization structure uh, to it. So, which means that as owners, we have a different role, but as as executioner, uh, we have a management role, which I need to come and play and I need to perform my role and the next person performs their role and then they have a team and who performs their role. That's how I think they are empowered and they get the value and probably they get the credit to what they're doing because everything is exposed to them. Nothing is hidden. Uh, like you can see behind also actually, uh, you know, I'm sitting in an area where, you know, you can see the office probably and we just like to sit anywhere. It's not really having my own table. So that's how we've operated and working collaboratively. Uh, right. Thank you. That seems, that's, thank you for opening up about all the things that are happening in your office. Uh, some more, so while the projects are uh, going, while the designers are working on the project, you know, I, I would say that many of these qualities such as being honest, the integrity, transparency, you just mentioned in many ways, being accountable, you know, for, for this young designers to be accountable for whatever work that they are doing and hence respond, being accountable to the project, being respectful and obedient to law. I mean, being keeping within the laws. How do you train your guys to do it? You know, not that everybody has the same understanding of accountability or confidentiality, let's say you know, being confidential about certain things and it may be needed. And sometimes I guess a lot of guys who have just joined and may not know why it is needed or how much should it be of that nature. So how do you as an organization train your, uh, your uh, designers in these aspects? I think we don't really, probably if you're talking about issues such as like if we are talking about issues such as data and then if and i'm sure you know everybody has an access to data now now yes of course we have copyright issues when we are dealing with the clients but with people working within is i think it's again a mutual trust which we believe in i'm not i'm not saying it's 100 percent that everything would be going the way it is but i think over a period of time we, we have we we created certain puts of procedures in place. Sometimes we took them away. I think we've come to an understanding that the way our culture is, the way our company has grown, and I think people hear about it, people who are working with us as clients know about us being ethical. I would say, you know, I've heard so many cases that, you know, we might be, maybe sometimes we have a question of charging more just because they know that actually the whole company right from me to the lower host person has a policy of, you know, I'm sure there are so much about vendors, about discounts, you know, it's an open, you know, but I guess the way our company has grown and everybody knows about us, even clients have said that because you have that hundred percent integrity that we rely upon you, that you would do us the best job. You will get us the best discounts. You will get us the best prices and there is no, you know, separate money handling happening. We don't take any, we, we just want to take our fees. We're not really looking at any other forms of 
uh, income. And I think that set the tone for everyone. So I think it's just a translation of what the tone you've set in the beginning and then kind of translates down. Maybe out of 100, it would have been a couple of cases here and there, but I think largely we realize that even the people joining and by the time they come in, of course, there are the first six months of probation and we find that the person has done an unethical practice, whether it is more in the HR level or a personality level or even a, a, a code of conduct, which is not correct. Maybe some information has been passed off. So we give each other time and we would not take that. And then we are very strong of not really having a person on board. But once they have come on board after reviews, feedbacks, you know, if we are making a person, uh, confirming a person, we have a feedback session, we take input from different people. And once we find that that person is stable enough to be in our office, I think on the whole we realize that we haven't come across a major, you know, a practice which is a great violation as such, because I think it trickles down from the top and I, and people have heard enough about us and, and I think they also know that this kind of practices really don't exist. So I think if we had a practice of such nature, it would have trickled down. Since we don't imbibe in that kind of a practice, I don't think nobody... Uh, and if, if the question is, or if the example being that if there is a sharing of data, for example, to external... I think, you know, we like to work collaboratively, whether it is internally, externally, whether it is with other architects. I think it's an open data system. We don't... We like to share as much data as possible, which we have. We would like to understand other people's thought processes as that. So I don't think there is any filter over there. If I have a detail which can help somebody else in some way, it's 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 okay. I don't think we have really, really focused on it also. And as a policy, we are we feel if we can share that and if somebody can get some benefit from there and really work upon that, it, it's okay for us, I guess. Right. So uh, that is about, I can hear a lot about how you people handle it. And perhaps this has come about through so many years of, uh, you building up your organization to handle this. How about when you work with clients and with, let's say, collaborators, any kind of collaborators? Are there, there would be instances where things don't work out the way you have agreed upon. Your terms may have been, but due to whatever reasons, and then there is one of you, whether out of the two collaborators, one of you is completely dissatisfied and feels that wasn't ethical. So how do you handle this? Um, how do you resolve this problem? If it's a business problem, I guess it can be resolved, you know, in terms of, okay, settlement of finance, etc. But uh, in terms of ethical issues, do you bring it up at all? Do you talk about it? And do you think uh, that that gets left as is? Uh, you are talking when we are doing a project with our, like we are talking about us and the client. You with the client or you with any other collaborators. Yeah, they could be collaborators who are, of course, the civil construction companies and things like that. Are these, are these things which really get settled at all in, or is it always just business financial deals or not only financial, just business deals which need to be resolved only at that level? But would you then continue working? For example, let me give you an example. You, I don't know if you do turnkey projects, but there would be instances where, let's say, low quality products or material may be used by uh, a collaborator and the designer either turns a blind eye or doesn't bother or, you know, does not push it too much. 
so does that i mean it is unethical but in terms of business there's profitability i mean there are many of these things which so how are these things managed in let's say in your organization yeah we are uh, very anal about these aspects it's it's, it's very important for us uh, as i mentioned earlier we are really serving the client and, and and for us the fees we are getting is our fees i until the format given to us that it needs to be a percentage uh, fees then we go by that otherwise we mostly work on a lump sum basis our intent behind giving a fixed fee is really to make the client's project happen in a certain time frame and in a certain uh, cost we don't as a practice like to inflate the cost hence we get a benefit on our fees so that's more on the financial front i'm just covering that aspect uh, quickly and, and and that's how we get a buy in with the with the client we our contracts are very rigid which takes care of any uh, issues which can come later up uh, we go through the so first the con- the contacts of the clients either comes through a lot of past record a lot of rfps our our our, our technical uh, 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 standards are uh, are financial standards so so baseline is that maybe out of 100 clients they could be a follow up with one or two clients uh, on certain issues but we are able to manage the financial issues largely again 95% because we have a very uh, strict uh, procedure like an sop for getting sign offs i think there was a question also asked so i'm also answering that that we get sign offs either on email or on paper we have a form where we know that okay we have done this work now you give us a sign off and we raise the bill so there is a sop created like many other sops there is a sop created even with the with the client for that purpose which mitigates and lessens these kinds of instances now i as i mentioned earlier since we have a track record of being very transparent and we have no system of kickbacks or whatever you can call it i think the client knows it and and that works in the favor of looking at our collaborators or our contractors uh, in any case we get a lot of prototyping done so that later on issues of detailing or issues of substandard materials don't arise but if there is a substandard material or there are glitches or variations from the bok and all that we are very rigid about it we would immediately ask them to do it again and i don't think any of the people whom we work with even with the people whom we work even in that case comes he knows they know that they have to change it there is no dialogue on that so so because there is no one to question us in that sense you know like there is no favoritism happening we are separate our team we want you to do a good quality job we want to give you the drawings and the specs and the client should get the best result now if a client is shortcutting things we would have a dialogue with him not to really do it we would keep on having that dialogue not to give in so that he can start using substandard materials it's a lot of it's a lot of exercise a lot of lot of time goes into it but we really we like to really tell him see like you want to show him the picture ahead that that what is best you're getting and and then it takes a time and process to for him to really know that okay if you are really trying to save some 100 rupees maybe down the line it's not going to help you so we have to constantly be working with him rather than giving in and that's the way we have gone about our work right so uh, i'm going to next ask you something which is i think your general opinion i i'm not sure it doesn't really happen 
definitely per perhaps not in your organization but uh, there is a tendency now for generally many practitioners to use google as their uh, as their database you know just they take a lot of inspiration from there and some sometimes inspiration is directly picking up perhaps even floor plan as basic as that and uh, so this has become a common norm across all streams and i'm not just talking about interiors or or building or architecture clothing products i mean there's a real lift off happening um, from google what is your opinion about that what would you like to advise and i just wanted to know what you think the way we go about it in our office of course in the digital world and the data available you know it's the it's there is no end to referencing and and and, and and whether we call it copy so i guess the way we conduct this exercise with our team leads and with our juniors is first to not use it so 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 if any given instance we find that like i'm saying forget about copying or something but even for them to use it uh, we have to have a lot of discussion and what is the purpose behind it first so we don't allow it like we should not have a presentation or a discussion going on you know just keeping in mind that okay you know i saw this now i'm creating this so that discussion doesn't hold so that's like we would rather say okay go back and think about it and then come back otherwise i'll give you the answer so that is very critical uh, in that aspect now yes at certain stages if we were to use a reference whether a floor plan or any detail it, it is really about particular aspect of the design to really not say that okay let us make this the conversation is not about okay should i make it it is really taking any clue of that image that what would you really like to create so it is basically stitching different influences and references into a kind of a mind map to create the way forward whether it's to talk about the kind of structure we are talking about or the kind of detail you like to do or the kind of method you want to employ uh, we would never come up okay you know example say okay you know I, i want to do a villa now let's just do this villa we can look at the proportions we can off that villa we would like to look at some classic examples and see how those proportions done earlier can be included in what capacity and style that is the kind of dialogue going on but but if there is ever a case which by if i know that okay we are really kind of referenced it and deeply influenced by something we we would say no so they need to go back and come back because anyways the process of design is really influenced about a lot of aspects so uh, since i said for us even for a home simplest no difficult and the simplest of exercises forget any other project it cannot be it cannot be replicated because there are so many factors involved whether it's cost it's the geographics the climate there are so many things which anyway influences the final product it can't really be influenced by it or by some other work done but even for a house there are a lot of factors involved whether it's again the weather the sun the openness everything it becomes very difficult Yeah. So, if there is a discussion on a courtyard typology, for example, yes, we can look at an example of a courtyard typology. But the discussion will not end. Okay, just make this house. 
Right. Right. So uh, I keep on hearing, I, I guess some of the things that you talk about is really uh, things which develop from the beliefs that your founders had and perhaps the others who joined you got brought in their own beliefs and it developed strongly into something which you is which is now your vision so do you think also if if professionals or designers were to really start imbibing uh, ethics as part of their professional the, the way that they work and in everyday things that they do do you think it should start from education, uh, from the time that they get educated, for formally educated, uh, or perhaps even earlier from schooling? What do you think about that? Because we don't have anything as such in education. I don't think anybody mentions it. Uh, however, there are undercurrents of such discussions when you find some work being copied, you know, maybe some student passing off somebody else's work as their work, and quite easily, some of these things can be done very easily when the numbers are huge and teachers are, do not really have the time to really spend uh, to investigate uh, many small things. What do you think education should be doing in such a sphere? Yes, of course, there is a huge gap between the actual act of practicing design versus education and that's been our very core idea of really creating uh, a, a process and, and our way of working and the way we work and operate, which I mentioned earlier, which is why this got generated because there is a big gap between the academia and the education and the actual act of practicing and, 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 and running your work as a professional. Uh, the education really does not really touch upon the actual code of conduct, you know, maybe the, I don't even know that whether in education, and I'm talking largely from an architectural background, whether even the CEO norms uh, of, you know, of what are the professional code of conduct or what are the services to be offered? Can you advertise your services? I don't think even that is really run in education or maybe it is run, but going behind, beyond that, that when it comes to actually practicing your work, really and then and your work is really conducting a project from beginning to end it's not just giving a design it's to make it happen to make it execute mm -hmm. to 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 look at your fees you look at your remuneration how you get your money it's all about everything as if you were to complete a project and you have different milestones and all of that i don't and the more and more the kind of people and pretty much everything and people join they have no idea about it they they and which is why our focus has become on how you manage the design. Yes, of course, you could be a great designer. You might have come from the best of the institutes or the best of the education, but how can you really manage your profession? How can you really conduct your profession? That has been our key and that is where we keep on mentoring people and, and working with them, which is why from a, after us three, you know, Pankhuri Asha joined, we are now five principals, there are eight team leads, there are multiple layers to it. The whole idea is to run it like a practice and, and how you can run it professionally. I don't think, I do. so I have been to different disputes and touched upon this subject, but the idea is to really, in, and I agree it's a difficult one where how much as a practitioner, as a professional, I can give time. Mm. But can we introduce and have sessions or moderate uh, 
sessions where we can give them you know what really lies ahead what does a studio like anyone a small studio a large studio a 20 people practice or 100 what do they really expect when you pass out so those modules could be run the modules on even i would say the art of prototyping or uh, portfolio making is important and and can we introduce them that how to really like what is that translation after your work and now you got into the act of running your practice you know they could be modules run on that so that they are little prepared what goes ahead i think we'll take you up on that as well siddharth so we are going to talk after this <laughs> meeting but i have some uh, questions from um, from the participants uh, there are two questions which i'm going to just club together from jatin bhat and raimala mathan they they uh, have asked can you share specific situations with the reference to ethical challenges you know anything which you can think of raimala has a similar question have you come across such ethical dilemma in your in your organization to do with internal working or ex dealing with external members and how did you handle that that they have been uh they have been actually few instances i the one i clearly remember which is close to me which is where uh, uh you know we were working with a difficult client and they had uh, uh, a different level of expectation uh about the way we were operating and and then there been a little disturbed scenario where we were conducting what we were doing and then they used to get it done in a different way without really our permissions and and and, and in a way possibly they were uh, you know changing the design and and everything and then of course at some point they brought a pmc on board and probably of course the project manager you know because it was their project manager they he sided with them and i think and there was an instance where there was some structural failure where we felt of course was that no necessary precautions or necessary steps were taken before casting a particular slab and knowing that it was an issue of the project manager but the client also went along with the project manager statement of some fault in in design and we had a lot of back and forth going so i guess at that point we felt that we should not be participating in the project in more and we had a discussion and we we kind of said that okay this is not really working and let's part at a, at a you know rather than it is getting more messier we for we did a lot of work of course we were we would have been paid but we didn't get into really and then we sided ways you know probably that is these are the kind of situations which has come in at some point we need to take a call that whether even as an architect they are really looking at our services and they are not really looking at survey what's the point of just because if it is not going to be made in the way we have envisaged then as as a practice as as an as from a code of ethics why would i invest my time on it where i don't know whether it is going to be even built or not right and sometimes we yes we have left those projects on a, on a mutually basis rather than you know it hitting us later we kind of take that call and 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 the and, and part ways i think ultimately it also builds on to your business reputation of course so that's that's that you're right so uh, another question which is similar but this is something to do with you know what happens when a client wants 
something that is influenced by uh, design on the net, on the internet. Uh, and they, they bring that and say, this is what I like you to do. How do you deal with these kind of uh, requests? So, no, no, it's, it's, uh, we, we, we face no issue because if, and we know that a client will come up with certain things. And then of course, see, again, as I said, probably the kind of clientele we deal with, they know that they are going to come up with the solution. So they also know they are educated enough not to really come up with that request. You know, like, like if I'm doing a particular project and they say, I want this, then I would say, I can't do this. So it's as simple as that because I'm not there to please, you know, I know that he has a requirement. And I need to take care of the requirement, but not, you know, the, so, so it does not really happen in larger projects. Yes, in homes, they come back with yeah. 100% they come back. There are two ways to deal with it. Right. If they say that, okay, I want a Spanish villa, I would say I can't do that. You come to the wrong person. I can suggest you to the right person because I can't give you your Spanish villa look because this is what not we don't do. So it's very important to have an alignment with the client in the beginning about his aspiration and our aspiration. Right. We have few dialogues. And if you don't find an alignment, we would rather suggest you go to this person. Right. But even if he comes up with those images, I would rather say you give me 100 images now only. So he then actually creates uh, his Pinterest account or whatever and then tell him you give me all 100 images, no problem. But you give it to me in the first go, spend a week, give your wish list, give the kind of look and feel you're looking at. And then I will say, once you've given it, I will understand what you're looking at. But the actual answer and what I want to make, I will absorb what he wants and it will be my translation of his idea. So probably these are the ways that we handle. Right. So now, uh, very important, I'm going to come to something which I think all of us have been introduced to quite late in our working life, where it's about the question of environment. Um, yes, of course, there are all these pressures as well, climate change, so much of media, uh, so much of uh, you know, concerns about it being voiced everywhere. And in many forms, it, it has translated into what we practice and what we have to deliver. Now, do you take that into consideration uh, being ethical, let's say environment ethics? I mean, would you, when you design certain aspects about space, usage, material that you use, do you take that into consideration? Yeah, that 100% that we take that into consideration. Every project, as much as possible, has layers built into it, which takes the, the so-called sustainability aspects, environment element, and at a base group level. So, of course, that starts with clever planning. You know, as I mentioned earlier, climatic conservation, materials which suit that climate. So, so, so if somebody is asking me to, to make a wooden house in, 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 a, in a Rajasthan village, I would not do it, even if they say so. And we explain them. And even if they say so, then I would say I'm not the right person to do that job. Or a very good example will be that when we went to the government of Odisha to do Krishi Bhavan, of course, they were expecting it to be, you know, like a Dubai glass box. And of course, you know, for them, it doesn't matter whether in Bhuvaneshwar, London or China, so we didn't do that. We created the facade, what we created, and it took a lot of while for them what we are doing. So of course, we want to be logical on costing. We don't want to create a glass cup which takes in heat in a weather like Bhubaneswar or Delhi. You know, like, like typically any Gurgaon building will look 
there is no difference between any building or the other. So it is so critical that we have to really invest the time in telling the client that this is the option to go for. You should get the right light. It's not about getting glass. And I'm see now you can see the result of pushing on based on that. And then they understood it after a few months into the project. They said, "What are you really talking about?" Now we understand it. Right. So it's a constant. Uh, it's a it's a constant uh, dialogue. I would say it's it's there in every aspect of what we do. The right material usage for the right weather, the right solution. Right. Okay. I think I have my last question for you. Just this is your personal opinion. Do you think we need we that is the design field needs or needs a code of ethics, such as the medical field has? You know, they make their graduates take an oath, a Hippocratic oath. There is code of ethics in law, in medical field, and even in computers or technology, in teaching. We all have all you know code of ethics which is understood in many of the. In many of these fields, they are written down, and people are made to take oath. Do you think it's important for uh, for designers in any field of design to have certain code worked out so that you know it's it's a real quick way and and a more confirmed way for many designers to practice and to have a belief or to develop a belief? What do you think? uh i if i if i try to connect it with the maybe the uh, ceo norms because that is the only norms which exist uh, for uh, a profession a profession like us i if i probe into it yes there are certain in a more in not in a rigid way like for law or medical but there are some code of conducts or ethics written about not taking discounts or not taking commissions or not suppressing the other architect there are those codes which are there and the only challenge is uh, like how many people like go with it like definitely uh, uh, laws have become stronger so of course any design you're doing any structure you're doing you're also responsible for it it's just not the engineer even the architect is responsible for it so so by default whatever we make whether it's a The fire norms and or the or the building norms or the or the material norms for you know the construction they they are followed. So yes, when we are doing houses or anything like hundred percent bylaws are followed. We won't end up into giving something which is which cannot which is you know beyond sanction. So we don't get into that. We just follow the bylaws and not really get into the space of having such practices. If if the client does so, then it's his. Prerogative, not not uh, ours. But I guess yes, we try to follow as much as possible, and and they can become better. But bottom line is that, like like the, it's again the way you are as a human being and how you really want to approach, you know what you are, uh, what standards are you living with, and then and if you want to work in a peaceful, in harmony, in reaching out to the people, passing on. your values passing on your judgments having constructive dialogues and all i think uh, you know empowering people like i think this is the code of ethics for us and that's how we build our work and our relationships so i guess yes building relationships is important and managing them and whether it's you are managing those at home or you managing those at in our profession that's how we operate and for us that's about the long and short of ethics is what i can say all right So thank you Siddharth that was really 
very generous of you to share everything about not only what you believe in, but the way your office works and what you feel should be about this topic on professional ethics. Thank you for your time. And I hope all our participants enjoyed this. If there's anything that you'd like to uh, get in touch with, please contact us. Uh, thank you all participants and thank you team for being, uh, for having managed everything.